1: Welcome, everyone, to the Benefits Executive Roundtable. I'm your host, Dorothy Koshu, and I'm happy to welcome my guests today, John Evangelista and Sarah Knapp from Colonial Life. We'll be discussing voluntary benefits and how they can enhance your open enrollment. Thanks, John. Thanks, Sarah, for being with me today.
2: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dorothy and Sarah. I'm looking forward to sharing some ideas based on my experience over 25 years as both an agent and an agency manager. Thank you.
3: Thank you for having us, Dorothy. I also am looking forward to sharing what I've learned working in the voluntary benefits field for the last 11 years.
1: Well, thank you very much. Let's start off with talking about the current environment right now in health benefits. Many companies are still recovering from COVID-19, as we all know, and they're struggling to attract and retain employees, you know, that are really needed to produce their product and to provide, you know, all the services that they offer. So besides increasing wages, you know, companies can't always afford to do too much of that. Many companies are also seeing increased costs and insurance premiums going up in 2023. And employers are finding themselves having to deal with rising costs of deductibles and out-of-pocket expenses and so forth in medical plans. So is this what you're saying?
3: Yeah, healthcare costs are growing faster than wages and even inflation. As a result, high deductible health plans are also becoming more popular with employers and employees. But unfortunately for many employees, any savings in premium they may be getting from the high deductible health plan is a double-edged sword. Instead of saving money, many workers delay needed medical care because they feel like they can't afford those out-of-pocket expenses. High deductible health plans often have deductibles anywhere between $3,000 to $10,000. And workers delaying medical care can have consequences for their employers as well. Many workers who don't feel well will not be able to perform their job like they normally would. And there's likely to be increased safety risks on the job and higher workers' compensation claims.
1: Yeah, thank you for that. Obviously, we've seen, you know, pandemic burnout, as people are calling it, on many levels and the great resignation across the country. And research shows that 1.8 million women dropped out of the workforce during the pandemic and have not returned. How can voluntary benefits in general help with these very basic and very common concerns and situations?
3: Dorothy, Colonial Life conducted a survey in August of 2021 questioning around 400 employers and 1500 full-time workers. The results from that survey confirmed what many business owners and HR professionals have surmised for a while. Benefits really do play a key role in workers' productivity, retention, and engagement. In fact, nearly 60% of the surveyed employers said their benefits package had a positive impact on employee productivity and retention.
1: Well, how can education and the use of voluntary benefits help employers in, in these types of situations?
3: So businesses that have a stronger benefits education or enrollment process in place are more likely to have higher employee satisfaction overall, likely because workers understand their benefits better, which can then lead to higher employee retention. This is especially true with millennials who are an essential part of the workforce today. On the other hand, studies have shown that organizations that have weaker benefit communication and education are actually more likely to have employees with lower job satisfaction and they can lead to higher turnover.
1: Yeah, I can imagine that. Um, How can offering voluntary benefits enhance overall employee satisfaction? You mentioned that just a moment ago. You know,
3: employees who are satisfied with their benefits benefits Those employees that feel their employers are listening to them and offering the benefits that they want, they report being more productive, more likely to stay at their job, and they're more likely to recommend their employer to others.
1: And that's always very helpful right now, particularly, again, with people not wanting to go back to work and, and bouncing right. and bouncing from job to job, looking for anything that they can get. And you know what? I guess I can't blame them if, if the market is allowing that to happen. But s- surveys have shown, a uh, recent one, as you mentioned, by your company, that uh, nearly 60 percent of all employers said their benefits package had a positive impact on employee production and retention. Based on your Colonial Life survey, how and why do you think this is, is the case?
3: Yeah, so that survey that you mentioned, again, that was done in 2021, it revealed that employees who are satisfied with their benefits have increased overall job satisfaction. So they report being more productive, more likely to stay at their job, and more likely to recommend their employers to others. When companies offer robust voluntary benefits and take the time to provide benefits education to their employees, I think it demonstrates to employees that their health is a top priority for the company. Especially in this post-COVID pandemic world that we live in, employees want to know that their health and safety is respected and taken seriously by their employer. When employers offer voluntary benefits, it shows the employees that their employer really cares about their overall well-being.
1: Well, thank you very much. Let's talk about the difference in the types of employees that employers have. What's the difference, let's say, between millennials and Gen X workers, and how do they compare with Gen Z and baby boomers as far as how happy they are and, you know, in general with their benefits?
2: Yeah. Hi, Dorothy. Um, I'll take that one. So here's what we have found out. Millennials and Gen X workers are generally the happiest with their benefits. Uh, Survey results also show that 73% – of millennials and Gen X employees find their benefits to be either excellent or very good. And that's a pretty high number. Gen Z is slightly less satisfied with their benefits coming in at 65%. And rounding out the demographic analysis, what we're finding is 54% of baby boomers are satisfied with their benefits. The other piece that plays into this is industry Uh, Demographic factors, uh, they are considerations. Uh, And then when you really start to drill down the analysis, job duties, occupation, um, are the employees a mix of office, warehouse, manufacturing, healthcare, construction, all of those are factors that come into designing benefits and what an employer might want to consider and aligning those with the overall population
1: and the audience that's being addressed. That's very helpful information. Thank you. So how can employers increase happiness overall in their benefits?
2: Well, you see that no matter what generation was surveyed, over half to nearly three quarters of employees report satisfaction with their benefits. So given that workers already feel positive about their benefits, businesses can use that goodwill to reach out to their employees with a thoughtful communication and education plan that really speaks to what each employee's unique benefit needs are. For example, a top strategy that employers can use to increase employees' happiness with their benefits is offering annual one-to-one benefit counseling sessions to those employees. Making informed decisions about benefit coverage can be overwhelming for employees, which is where benefit counselors step in, especially if there is a significant change in plans or providers. What these benefit counselors do is they help guide employees through the plan details, Make recommendations, assist with claims, answer employees' questions, and really go through the burning most important questions employees and their families would want to think about during the open enrollment process. A lot of employers offer options for employees to meet with benefit counselors, either virtually or in person, wherever and whenever it's convenient for them, even in hybrid work environments. This is a great way for employers to showcase all they offer to their employees and for employees to make best use of their benefits to set themselves and their families up for long-term success.
1: Thank you, John. If an employer has to offer a plan with a high deductible, and we see them all the time, 5000 $8,000, i have seen them size $10,000 deductibles, are there voluntary benefits that can be offered to help employees with these out-of-pocket expenses?
2: Absolutely. Uh, voluntary benefits such as an
1: accident plan, a critical illness
2: insurance policy, or even hospital indemnity insurance can help employees cover the upfront cost for deductibles, uh, uh, you know, their, when they get to their maximum out-of-pocket expenses. So they're more likely to seek medical care and be able to cover these large expenses that may occur. Um for example, if an employee, let's say, were to have some type of an injury, uh let's call it a sports injury, they're out mountain biking, and you know, involved with that claim could be um an ambulance, an emergency room visit, there could be um, you know injuries, specified injuries, fractures, etc. Um, these plans will help cover many of those expenses, um, all the way up to including moderate to catastrophic events. So this is where dollars are put directly in the employees and their families hands to help deal with these deductibles and co-payments.
1: Thanks, John. Quite often employers, you know, they offer core benefit plans or minimum value type plans under the ACA to meet the affordability provisions of the ACA, and then they offer buy-up plans. And a good percentage of the employees generally enroll in those plans, those are the lower cost plans. Why do many employers choose the higher deductible, higher out-of-pocket cost uh, types of plans, even if lower deductible and lower out-of-pocket plans are offered? It seems pretty obvious that, you know, their employee contributions would be lower but are there other reasons that they would pick the higher deductible plans?
2: Yeah, Dorothy, you know, what we typically see at the time of enrollment, um, a lot of the employees enrolling in these higher deductible health plans that have lower premiums associated generally consider themselves to be healthy. And, you know, with that mindset um, in their mind, they have no plan major medical needs for the foreseeable future. So the thing is, accidents and critical illness and, other such events are, are just quite frankly not planned. And when those occur, they can lead to costly medical bills. So with these situations, employees can end up being responsible for their high deductibles and have large out-of-pocket costs, often five and $10,000 or even more. So employees may then struggle to pay their medical bills. So the thinking is, hey, I don't have anything going on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hedge here, if you will. I'm going to, I'm going to um, allow myself to take the higher cost um, or lower cost plan out-of-pocket expenses in terms of my premium with knowing that if something happens, I'll be responsible for the medical bills. You know, and depending on the severity of the employee's condition, employees may be out, even out of work for a while, leading up to a buildup of personal bills such as mortgage and car payments, etc. And again, this is where voluntary benefits can help employee pay their bills, because the money is generally paid to them from a variety of different plans, and that money goes directly to them to use wherever they see fit, including direct and indirect expenses.
1: Well, thanks, John. Can the employer contribute to these costs at all, or do they have to be offered as 100% employee paid?
2: You know, what we find, Dorothy, is um, it's either or. So quite frankly, um, plans can be offered as either 100% employer paid, 100% employee paid, or voluntary in that case, or a combination of the two. In the latter case, the combination of the two, an employer could say, provide uh, employer paid life insurance, maybe up to $50,000. And then the employees could then purchase a supplemental or an additional amount um, that the employees would pay for through payroll deduction. Other times, employers may choose to provide employees with a a monthly allowance. We also uh, refer to that as a benefit bank or even a defined contribution. Um, So it could be a specified dollar amount. For example, um, maybe the employer says each employee has $50 or $25 or even $100 to use towards the enrollment and uh, procurement of various policies. With that, the employees effectively can then shop much like they would for other plans and decide how to use those dollars based on the needs of their own individual situation, factoring in income, factoring in family members, factoring in uh, levels of coverage. So there's a lot of variety of options available with that defined contribution or that benefit bank approach. Um, for example, we uh, recently had the ability to work with a, a large national COVID testing company. What they did is they offered five plans that employees can choose from. And there was a specified dollar amount that the employees could use. And then anything above that, the employee would, would have deducted from their paycheck. And we found a very, very high level of engagement and you know, some utilization as well.
1: Thanks, John. What did Colonial's research show as far as whether the majority of employers consider the needs of their employees and their families when designing their benefit programs?
3: I'll take that one. The majority of employers, about 90 percent, said they considered the needs of employees and their employees' family when designing their benefits offering. This is a positive trend for workers, too, with three-fourths reporting they felt their employer takes their needs into consideration. 73% of workers said their employer takes their needs into consideration with benefits, but this is even higher among selected groups. 82% of millennials say their needs are being considered. 78% of male workers say that their needs are considered compared to females, which was about 67%. And then 81% of workers earning over 100,000 said their needs were being considered. Generally, it's a pretty high number of employees that feel that they are being taken care of.
1: Well, that's really good to know, Sarah. Thank you. How does providing feedback help?
3: So there is a strong connection between workers' perception about their benefit needs and them providing feedback to their employer on their benefits. So among workers who say their employers seek feedback, whether formal or informal, When designing a benefit offering, most employees say they feel their needs are taken into consideration. 94%. On the other side, those workers who say their employers do not seek their feedback feel that their needs are not considered. So 53% of employees said, My employer did not ask for feedback and I don't feel that I that my needs are being considered. The takeaway here is that employees are much more likely to feel their benefits package is designed with their needs and in mind when their employers seek
1: their feedback. That's good to know, thank you. I think uh, you both know that I firmly believe in employer and employee education and feel that you know that strongly impacts the success of a benefit program, both in satisfaction and cost containment. Can you tell us maybe the top three preferred educational methods by both employers and employees in the recent Colonial Survey?
3: Yeah, So let's unpack that one. The most preferred educational method is a benefits portal or benefits website. There are several options available, um, EASE, Employee Navigator, iSolved, Solerix, just to name a few. The benefits portal is used to communicate the plans and conduct the enrollment electronically. There are comparison tools that the employee can use that show the differences between the plans and then all of the plan documents are also held in that portal. In addition, the portal is available for viewing year-round, so the employees always have access to their plan information. That's the most popular educational method. The second preferred benefits education method, and my personal favorite, is the in-person benefit counseling sessions. As I mentioned before, having a personalized one-on-one session to ask questions and get assistance directly from a representative of the carrier is key to making benefits count for employees. A virtual enrollment method can be highly effective as well. And then finally, coming in third place is a group meeting. Group meetings are an ideal time to provide all employees with high-level information about all of their benefit offerings. I think they work best when used in conjunction with the one-on-one benefit counseling sessions. It's great to start with a group meeting and general overview and then have one-on-one meetings with the benefit counselor. Then the employee can ask questions and really dive into the specifics of what plans work best for them and their families.
1: Well, thanks, Sarah. Is it all about technology or do we still need high level, you know, employee, high touch, personalized recommendations in the enrollment process?
3: So while technology often an online benefits portal was the top pick among both employers and employees, the key takeaway from these results in our survey is that a variety of educational methods are needed in order to speak to employees' different learning styles and preferences. For example, an employee may be educated on their benefits during a group meeting in which they receive printed learning materials such as benefit booklet or brochures. Then the employee may choose to self-enroll through the benefits portal. Or the employee may choose to gather more information by attending a one-on-one benefits counseling session and have have the enroller help them do the enrollment through this portal. We all have different preferences and learning styles. Some will gravitate toward digital resources, while others are less tech-savvy and prefer to have the benefit counselors handle the entire enrollment process. Either way, personalized touches, such as group meetings and one-on-one benefit counseling sessions, play a key role in the employee's understanding and satisfaction of their benefits.
1: Well, thank you. What are the highest utilized types of voluntary benefits for, say, the small employer?
3: We've discussed the importance of the employer understanding the needs of their employees. We take a similar approach at the employer level. The benefits that are currently offered, the industry, the group demographics are all taken into consideration. And we will even ask the employer what their employees are asking for. Typically, tighter employer budgets, fewer carrier options, and participation requirements will also be part of that conversation. With that being said, we do find that short-term disability insurance, life insurance, hospital indemnity, and accident are among the most popular choices.
1: Well, thank you. And what about large employers with over 100 employees? What are the highest utilized types of voluntary benefits for that population?
2: Yeah, so I'll take that one, Dorothy. Um, you know, it's, again, a similar approach to what Sarah just mentioned, using a discovery process and more of a consultative conversation with uh, the broker, uh, the consultant, and the employer in trying to solve for the need. So I would say this: the simple answer is life insurance. That's arguably number one. Uh, We then find that closely followed with critical illness plans, uh, a variety of different options within those critical illness plans, Uh, lots of plan designs, lots of options, wellness, health screening, or or well-being care benefit being a big part of a lot of these plans. Hospital indemnity, again, because of deductibles and co-pays, outpatient surgery, even medical treatment packages. So there's a lot of different benefits that can be made available or, you know, built into the core plan or optional at the employee level. And then certainly accident. There's typically always a place, regardless of the size of the group or an accident, because again, whether it's three employees or 30,000 and every, everywhere in between, accidents can happen to anybody at any time, anywhere. So we know that these are very popular and they're very cost effective.
1: Thanks, John. What are the key takeaways for HR professionals when workers are under tremendous mental financial stress in our post-pandemic world? And what can organizations do to support those employees? And how can voluntary benefits overall enhance open enrollments this year? Terrific. So
2: first of all, organizations should provide a comprehensive benefit package that addresses their employees' needs. And in doing so, they should consider voluntary benefits that cushion the financial impact of high out-of-pocket expenses. Again, using examples such as accident insurance, hospital indemnity, disability, and even more. Employers should also ensure that employees feel heard about their benefits by gathering feedback, either doing it formally through a survey or other methods, or even informally, just having conversation and engaging employees. While offering voluntary benefits is a great step, It's also essential that employers develop a consistent benefit education and communication strategy to ensure employees understand and take advantage of the benefits that are offered and to really make sure that the best of their offerings um, are, are taken advantage of or utilized. Employers should elevate the employee experience during enrollment by making benefit counseling sessions readily and easily accessible when possible. Leave-behind resources are also very important as tools to empower employees so that they know what benefits they have and to facilitate easier access, utilization, and give them uh, the ability to make informed decisions not only during the open enrollment but throughout the plan year as their needs may dictate.
1: Thank you, John. Lastly, I know Colonial has been around for some time as a leader in the voluntary benefit space. What is the range of products that are offered by Colonial and how do they differ from other vendors in this space?
2: So to give you kind of a, an abbreviated overview, um, we have two different types of uh, products that we offer. And, you know, the really beautiful thing about it is that uh, it can be really a mix and match. Uh, So going down the different products available, short-term disability, uh, accident policies, term life insurance, whole life. There's also a long-term care rider or type rider that's available in many states, uh, cancer insurance, critical illness, and again, hospital confinement. So to kind of give you a feel for how Colonial Life differentiates themselves, um, we offer both individual policies that the employees can own or do own uh, They're fully portable rate stability with guaranteed renewable contracts. And then we also offer group contracts that gives us a lot of flexibility, both in the underwriting and, um, you know, the ability to, to uh, use composite rates and things like that. The other step that I think is, is uh, a differentiator is it's one, uh, one underwriting, one billing, one administration, one claim. So everything is housed. And encapsulated with one single carrier one single point of contact Uh, there are many many carriers that are out in our space and um, you know when you look at the overall benefit package I think that is a strong consideration not just the product but the other elements that that are part of the consideration
1: thank you John Colonial works with brokers frequently correct
2: absolutely our business is built on serving employee benefits, brokers, consultants, and their clients. It is by far and away the vast majority, uh, especially here in Southern California. Sarah Sarah and I are what we consider a broker-centric general agency, uh, which we represent for Colonial Life. And um, that's really our core business is working with the consulting firms, again, all the way from a single um, you know, brokerage consultant to the, to the mid-market, uh, you know, mid-level, all the way to the national brokerage houses and everything in between. Thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you. Uh, I'm afraid we're out of time, but thanks for being here today, both of you.
2: Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. Uh, I hope that I have shared some valuable information about the growing interest and the need for voluntary benefits and the solutions that are associated with the offer. Of voluntary benefits. Sarah?
3: Thank you for having us, Dorothy. I really hope that this podcast will help to increase interest and implementation of voluntary benefits.
1: Well, thank you both so much. If anybody would like to reach out to Colonial, how would they do that?
3: Yeah, you can reach out to either myself, Sarah Knapp. My email address is Sarah, S-A-R-A-H dot Knapp, at coloniallifesales.com or John Evangelista. John's email address is john, J-O-H-N dot evangelista,
1: E-V-A-N-G-E-L-I-S-T-A at coloniallifesales.com. Well, Sarah and John, thanks again for all of this valuable insight on voluntary benefits. To everybody else out there, please stay safe, be healthy, and stay tuned next week for another episode of the Benefits Executive Roundtable podcast. Thanks, everyone.
0: Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for compliance tips, cost containment ideas, new trends, and decision-making tools. This podcast is produced by Advanced Benefit Consulting, Anaheim, California. All views expressed are those of the host or interviewees and not necessarily those of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Information contained herein should not be construed as legal advice. We always recommend that you consult with your legal counsel as situations do vary. Miss Koshu can be reached at 714-693-9754, extension 3, toll free at 866-658-3835, or visit our website at advancedbenefitconsulting.com.